Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. word together. We turned the music down, I know. Joshua chapter 24, beginning in verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord, our God, who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You were not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. Father, I thank you for your words. I thank you for the privilege of considering them. I thank you for the choice that is set before us today. I pray, Father, that we would choose wisely in this life and death decision. God, bless us as we think about these words. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Though we certainly don't have Regis Philbin here answering, asking the question, I do believe that in a sense Joshua is confronting the nation of Israel with this question, is this your final answer? These are serious words that are presented to us here at the last chapter of the book of Joshua. We understand that Joshua is reaching the end of his life. The major battles in Canaan are finished. All that remains is mopping up a few leftover factions that could easily be handled by the individual tribes. But there is, there is a problem. And Joshua being the godly leader, the godly man that he is, he recognizes within his people a very, very dangerous tendency. For whatever reason, we don't fully know, we're not given that information, idolatry has quietly crept into the hearts of the Israelites. Maybe they didn't learn their lesson too well from Achan. Maybe they forgot what their calling was. But regardless, Joshua makes a statement here that, that should rattle the minds of his hearers as well as his readers. So let's look at these verses and, and ask ourselves the question, is this your final answer? And just to help us put this into a, uh, into a package we can understand, we might just find that the lifelines from the game show may be helpful for us as well. But instead of being a millionaire, we're more concerned with the question, who wants to be a Christ follower? Who wants to be a Christ follower? You know, one of the lifelines on the game show was 50-50, where the four possible answers were reduced to simply two. Removing two of the, the possible answers, leaving you only two choices. And that was always helpful when it got rid of like one of, the, one of the answers that you weren't quite sure about. 
Like if it got rid of that one, then it was helpful. But if it got rid of the two that you knew were wrong answers, then, you, then it didn't help you very much. Joshua begins by talking to the people and he outlines the possible answers. Look at verse 14. He says, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the God your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm about to say something this morning that is very intolerant which is the cardinal sin of our modern day. I'm about to say something that would offend lots and lots of people, not as many in this room, but perhaps some. I'm about to say something that our Lord Jesus actually said. He told his disciples in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, also in Luke chapter 11, verse 23, he who is not with me is against me. There's only two choices. You are either with the Lord or you against the Lord. In other words, there are not multiple pathways to finding God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Those are important words. It's a foundational truth contained in Scripture. Truth is not a buffet line where you get to pick and choose that which is most tasty. We drove past that little bitty restaurant in Fort Oglethorpe that uh, I'm, I'm convinced keeps the economy of Catoosa County working. And uh, Golden Corral is open, and every time, I mean, people are, are, are having car accidents to get into this restaurant. And I think about this restaurant, I think, man, people are going in there, and they are able, why is it so popular? Because they can make whatever they want. Uh, they, I don't know if they have the chocolate fountain anymore. That may have been something they did away with in COVID. But, but man, you could walk through the Golden Corral and you could have everything from, from steak to, to shrimp to who, all, whatever you want. And you could make a meal out of anything that you wanted. That is not how truth works. It is not a buffet line where you get to pick and choose that which sounds good. Truth is a one-course meal that will always leave you fulfilled. The first Christian sermon preached in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, made this very clear. There is no other name given unto man by which man must be saved. It's as simple as it gets. Your spiritual pathway in life is not a matter of multiple choices. It is not a screen in which there is A, B, C, or D. Your spiritual pathway is not a multiple choice test. There is one answer and one answer alone. It is a matter of saying yes to Jesus or no to Jesus. You can choose to follow him or you can choose to reject him, but those are the only two choices. We're going to eliminate all the other choices except for those two. You either follow him or you don't. Israel had a choice to make. Joshua tells the people they had a choice to make. Get rid of the idols or worship God. Uh, get rid of the idols and worship God or keep the idols. Those are the only two things. Get rid of the idols and worship God. Keep the idols and don't worship God. Those are your two choices. It really does boil down to life or death, true or false, heaven or hell. That is the reality of our, of our scriptures. That is the truth that Jesus teaches us. And again, this is not about denominations. This is not about what church you go to. This is about being Baptist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal or Puritan. It's about either following Jesus or following 
something else. And the fact of the matter is, is we know there's people sitting in churches all over the world today who are hearing messages like this, and they're trying to come up with reasons as to why this doesn't apply to them. Well, I've, gone a di- I've chosen a different pathway. Well, there's not a third pathway. No, there's not a, a fourth option. It's follow Jesus or reject Jesus. It really is that simple. You either follow Jesus or you reject Jesus. 50-50, we eliminated all the other choices. What's the second lifeline? Phone a friend. Man, it was good to have a mama there that knew her wedding anniversary. Good thing you didn't bring daddy down because uh, that could have gone south real quick there, right? So it's good to have mama down because you know mama knows the wedding anniversary. That was a guarantee. But sometimes that phone, that phone call was made to somebody. There was a math question and, and we had a biology major on the phone. It didn't do us any good. You know, that, that, that game show, if you were stuck on a tough question, you had a trusted friend or family member that you pray was knowledgeable about the subject matter. We have a phone-a-friend here in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. You have this ancient version of the phone-a-friend because Joshua's the trusted leader, and he tells the people the right answer. He's the guy who knows. He tells the people what the right answer is. As for me and my house, that's right. You want the right answer. This is the right answer. If As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's only two choices, life or death, God or Satan, heaven or hell. There's only two choices. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to choose correctly because the answer is already provided. I love Indiana Jones movies. I'm, I'm excited about the fourth one coming out. Like I'm, I'm nervously excited. I hope they don't ruin it. We'll see. The verdict is still out. But I love Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when Indiana walks into the, the, the chamber that has all of the potential um, holy grails lined up. And his dad's outside. His dad's been shot by the Nazis. His dad's outside dying. I mean, I love Sean Connery and James or in Indiana Jones. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible scene. And Indiana Jones knows that the only hope his dad has got is that he can get the, the, the Holy Grail and give that, that life-giving water to his dad from the Holy Grail. He walks in, spoiler alert, I guess I should have said that, right, if you haven't seen this, right? Uh, he walks in, and there's this, this ancient Templar knight who's there guarding the chamber. He's drank of the cup. He's got eternal life there guarding the chamber. He walks in, and Indiana Jones is trying to figure out, which cup do I drink out of? About that time, the bad guy wanders in, the Nazi guy wanders in, and he is trying to get eternal life. He's trying to figure out which cup to drink from. And he gets to the cup that he thinks, uh, his girlfriend actually picks it out, that he thinks that this is the cup that Jesus would have drank out of at the Last Supper, and it's this ornate, jewel-encrusted goblet. It's gorgeous, and the Nazi looks at it and says, this is the cup of the king. If you've seen what happens, you know he, he gets water, he drinks it, and immediately, I mean, Indiana Jones can make the flesh rot off of somebody in a heartbeat. I mean, that's something they did really well. And this guy immediately starts aging. He, he just turns into a skeleton and falls apart because he, he drank out of the wrong cup, and the knight looks at Indy, and he says, guess what? He chose poorly. So then Indiana Jones is left with a, 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 a decision to make. He's got all of these cups that it could be, all these potential cups that it could be, and he finally sees this cup, this simple, simple goblet. And Indy says, that's the cup of a carpenter. 
He gets it and he fills it up with water and he drinks it. Nothing happens to him. He's able to go out and he saves his dad. And it's not like that. I mean, again, it's not like there's all of these choices that you can make. It's not like that at all. The, the, the right answer is given to us. And Andy knew the right answer. He's not a Christian, but he knew the right answer. It's either God's way or it's your way. That's the only way it can be. Here's the thing. If you've got people in your life counseling you in a pathway that is contrary to the Scriptures, you really need to stop listening to those folks. The friends that you trust when it comes to honoring the Lord with your life need to be friends who understand what it means to honor the Lord. If you've got a friend who counsels you to sin, then you need to find a new friend to talk to. You've got to find somebody who will lead you in the right direction, who can tell you the, the right answers, who can lead you in accordance with the Word of God. Again, I'm not telling you not to be friends with people who are confused and deceived, but I am telling you that you shouldn't listen to their bad counsel. It never fails when I'm, when I'm talking to, to couples and, and things like that, to, to, that one of the worst things that can happen is for a husband or a wife for their friends to be divorce-minded. Uh, that, that they began to lead them in a different direction that's, that's contrary to the direction that God would have us to go. Do not listen to those people who are giving you counsel that's not in accordance with the Word of God. Again, non-Christians, we expect their mind not to be wired right anyway. I mean, we expect that. Romans chapter 1 says, says that those who are not followers of Christ have been turned over to a depraved mind. They don't think like God because they don't have the mind of Christ. Don't trust people like that to give you spiritual advice. In this case, Joshua's a good friend because he knows the right answer. What's the third lifeline? Ask the audience. I'm sure glad you guys knew who Richard Nixon was. It's a risky lifeline though, isn't it? It's a risky lifeline, especially if the question's a hard one. If you remember how it worked in the show, this is where the, the audience picks up their little, uh, you know, it's not one of these everybody shouts out their answer. Everybody picks up their little voting device and they key in what they think the right answer is. And then the contestant's able to see that, you know, X number of people thought it was this and he's able to choose based on how the audience leads. Be wary of the direction of the crowd. And Joshua, the popular opinion at this time is to follow the Lord. Joshua chapter 24, verse 18. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. The nation of Israel says, we're going to follow God. He, we know what he's done. We see what he's done for us. We're going to follow God. It's a good thing when the crowd says, we're going to follow the Lord. The crowd chose wisely. In this case, you're in good company to follow the crowd for now. The problem with crowds is that they're fickle. Flip over just a couple of pages to Judges chapter 2, verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel each went to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people, the crowd, served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. Verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work 
he had done for Israel. So the crowd was right for a while. But in the grand scheme of God's plan of redemption, it didn't take long for the crowd to get off course. You know, there's an entire branch of psychology that looks at the nature of the crowd. Social, social psychology tries to understand how crowds function and how crowds work because you get into a crowd and oftentimes the individual identity of a person is lost in the, the, the sensation of, of a crowd. A lot of this field of study, a lot of research has gone into this and it comes to a very simple conclusion. When we see our uncertain opinions reflected back to us, our beliefs strengthen. So you get a bunch of people who kind of think the same thing. They get into a crowd together. They start talking about the sort of the same thing they think, and suddenly the same thing they think becomes to be amplified. And that crowd that consisted of individuals who had loose, loosely affiliated opinions, those, those opinions are galvanized. You think of our current generation. Man, how much has our generation drifted in the last 20 years? How far have we shifted in the last 10 years? Dare I say even in the last five years? How, how far have we drifted in this relatively short amount of time? And the reality is, is the acceleration that we are experiencing is we have a crowd mentality that is at work. People are losing their individual ability to think about things, and they're just responding to what the crowd thinks. And if you think about how media works today, what's a poll? A poll is simply the reflection of the values of a crowd. If you're sitting in church today and a poll comes out that says 80% of Americans have an opinion contrary to your opinion, you begin to think what about your opinion? Am I wrong? Is my opinion incorrect because I'm out of step with 80% of all these other people? And you begin to doubt your opinion because of the influence of the crowd. That's what polls do. Polls cause you to begin to doubt the veracity of your own opinion, the veracity of your own ideas, which leads to a very simple warning. Before you follow the crowd, you'd better have a good grasp on God's opinion. Joshua, <laughs> choose you this day who you will serve. You're going to shoot, follow the idols. You're going to follow the gods of the land in which you inhabit. You do, you do what you want to do, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was able to stand firm and stand boldly and declare to the crowd, I don't care which way you go. We're going to follow the Lord. I don't care what the opinion of the group is. We're going to follow the Lord. Make sure before you follow the crowd that you worry about what God thinks more than what everybody else does. And who wants to be a millionaire? What's the prize? Well, hopefully a million bucks, right? If you make it that far, uh, you get a prize. What's the prize of, of, our, of our analogy here? Well, Joshua walks through here and gives us some, some prizes of this analogy. The first one I want to point out is repentance. Look at verse 23. Joshua said, put away the foreign gods that are among you. Put away the foreign gods that are among you. We have to clean house. If we want to honor God with our lives, then we have to get rid of the stuff that's hiding in the shadows. It isn't enough to just put it to the side. You have to get rid of it. How much are we carrying around today? 
may seem shocking that Joshua has to tell the people to get rid of the pagan gods that they've collected. How short is their memory? Well, here's a question. If the Lord began to rummage through your spiritual closets today, what would he find? If God took a stroll through your spiritual home and began to open up the doors into your spiritual closets, what sort of things would he find stuffed in boxes and hiding places within? What do you have tucked away in your life that is unpleasing to him? What, do you, what decisions are you making? What actions are you taking that if God looks at and analyzes them through the lens of Scripture and through the work of the Holy Spirit, what things are in your life that are displeasing to him? What things have you tucked away that you only pull out for special occasions? What is it that you worship when no one else is watching? You need to put away the foreign gods that are among you. But then he says, look at the next part of that verse. He says, incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. What does that mean? It means that you have to cultivate a relationship. You have to cultivate a relationship. Joshua tells the people to incline their hearts to God. It means you have to do the things necessary to cultivate a healthy relationship. Now, we know how to cultivate healthy human relationships. We understand that because hopefully you have healthy human relationships in your life, and you know what it takes to cultivate those healthy human relationships. You know how to cultivate a healthy marriage relationship, even if you're not doing it. You know how to cultivate a healthy relationship with your children. It takes things like communication, it takes things like, like quality time. It takes things like trust. Those are things that, that, that are required from us if we're going to maintain healthy relationships with other people. But this is true if we want to incline our hearts to God as well. It isn't something that we do in our spare time. Our relationship with God is our most essential relationship. But it begs the question, how are we investing in that relationship, especially in comparison with the other aspects of our life. The last prize here is the prize of remembrance. He talks about this in verses 25 through 28. Joshua does something else that, that he's done before. He sets up a, a memorial stone in light of the covenant that God has made with the people there. It's very similar to what he did when he crossed through the Jordan River. It's intended to be a place and a time and space that reminds the nation of their commitments. Joshua said that the stone was a witness against us. For it heard all the words of the Lord that he had spoke to us. Uh, you know, that rock's not sitting there saying, I heard it. I know, what you, I, know what the, I know what was said here. That rock's not doing that. What we're saying is that that rock, his opinion's not going to sway. That rock was in the presence. And so he's saying this rock was a, was a witness that, that it's not going to change. It's not going to be swayed. Its opinion's not going to be moved. It is a forever witness of the things that God said here. Now, again, you may not have any rocks set up in your life or in your home to mark commitments that you've made. But I think we do have these monuments that mark our commitments that cause us to remember. Perhaps one of the most profound monuments today that we have is, is baptism. Baptism functions as a witness about us. Baptism serves as a place and a space in time that calls us out to be reminded about our commitment to Christ. 
Whenever we see baptism, we're reminded of our own baptismal profession where, where we confess publicly that Jesus Christ is Lord. I think back to my own baptism, and I remember that was the moment that I looked at the church and I said, Jesus Christ is Lord. It was the moment that I did what Joshua did. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It was a public testimony, a public proclamation of the work that God had done in my life. It's a monument that will forever stand in my life. Weddings are other profound monuments that we make about the, the, or that we erect about the commitments that we've made. I, I've entered into a lot of covenants in my life. I can tell you about times sitting in real estate attorney's office and, and signing covenants. I mean, that's what it is. You, you go to that attorney's office and you sign that, that thick stack of papers that, that say that you're going to pay back what you borrow or else they're going to come and take your children from you. I mean, that's what you're signing. That's a covenant that you're making. You're entering into an agreement that you're going to pay back the money that you've borrowed. Now, I'll tell you this. I don't remember much about the attorney that facilitated my first home purchase. I couldn't tell you his name. I could maybe get to the office where we went to, but I don't remember much about that, that ceremony at all. I've sat in finance, finance offices at car dealerships, entered into covenants with a bank to help me purchase a car. But none of those covenants that I've entered into in that regard are anything like the covenant that was made during my wedding. That event stands out. That event is one that is forever galvanized in my mind because it was a covenant that I've entered into that I will never, ever forget. And every time I perform a wedding or see a wedding, it serves as a reminder of my own, of the promise that I made, of the covenant that I entered into. When we as the church gather, we pass two simple things, grape juice and a little wafer. We pass these two simple things around. And every time we partake of those elements of the Lord's Supper, they serve as a reminder of the covenant that was entered into, the new covenant that was brought to us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to remember. Our table says, do this in remembrance of me. We're called to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, the promises that he made. We are called to remember the high price that was paid for our redemption. Joshua leads the people to set up this altar that will forever serve as a monument for the promise that they made here. It leads us to the question, who wants to be a follower? Who wants to be a follower? And the answer is simply this. Hopefully you do. Hopefully we all do. That's the, that's the goal, right? And, and here's the thing. There's only one right pathway. There's only one choice that is the right choice. And it is the choice that informs all of our other decisions. I love the confidence of Joshua. We need this confidence today. He looks at the people, you go wherever you want to go. That's a, that's a hard thing to say for a man who's been leading this nation for so long. I mean, I imagine the temptation for Joshua was like, no, I want, I want to bring you guys with me. Come on, I want to bring you with me. But Joshua realizes that his life is nearly finished. He looks at the people, he says, you go whichever way you want. You want to go off the cliff, you go off the cliff. You want to follow idols, you follow idols. You want to reject the, the God who delivered you from Israel and fed you in the wilderness and the God that gave you the land, the God who's been faithful to his promises. You want to reject him, you go right ahead. But as for me 
in my house. We'll choose the Lord. As we see this world reeling under the weight of sin and rebellion against the holy God, we need your family and my family, our church family, our family of churches be able to stand up in the face of a people who want nothing to do with the gospel truth, say, you go where you want to go, but we will serve the Lord. And guess what? That, that is what? Our final answer. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for the clarity with which your word speaks. I thank you, God, that it doesn't leave us uncertain. I thank you, Lord, that there are things in your scriptures that are hard to understand. There are verses that are challenging there are concepts that are hard. But on those things that are most essential, there is no need for negotiation. There is no need for hesitation. It really is a matter of truth or deception. life or death to receive Jesus as Lord or to reject him. And so, Father, I know that in this space today that there are those who are trying to stay on the fence. trying to keep a, a foot in both worlds. But Lord, we understand that unless we are surrendered to you, we have made our choice. And I pray, Father, that today, in these next few moments of response, that there would no longer be fence-sitting that anyone who is here today who has never given their life to Christ would today recognize the choice that is put before them and without hesitation, without negotiation, would choose to follow Jesus. I pray, Father, for those who have followed you, God, that they would be steadfast and true in their commitment and that they would see that their home, Joshua didn't just talk about himself, he talked about his family, that me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I pray that mommies and daddies in this room today would say, we will make sure that our house serves Jesus. 
We will make sure that our children are raised to know who the Lord is and what it means to walk with him, that mommies and daddies in this room today would be firm and steadfast in their commitment to follow Christ and to lead their children to do likewise. How can we do anything else, Lord? So, Lord, may we look at this world and the danger that it is in. So you go where you're going to go. But as for me and my house, as for me and my church, as for me and my neighborhood, we will serve the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the clarity with which you speak to us. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.